I uh, want to say one thing. These guys are pretty serious players in our industry. Uh, we provide links from this website to their websites. Take a look at what Trace Meyer has to say uh, at his website, rundogold.com. Okay, welcome back to the 65th episode of the rundogold.com podcast. This will be an interview with John Rubino. Welcome, John. Hey, Trace. How are you? Great, great. You're the author of The Collapse of the Dollar. Cool. Yeah, co-author with James Turk, uh, founder of Gold Money. And then you also run your own website, dollarclaps.com, which is a good hub in the gold net. Uh, we were talking a little bit before the call about uh, how the stock market's kind of topped off, and the capital seems to be moving out of the stock market into the dollar, which is then uh, seems to be pressing the price of gold down a little bit. Is there anything else you'd like to add uh, to that initial nugget. Yeah, the, the stock market, especially in the U.S., has had a, a really nice run from the uh, the 2008 bottom. It's up about 65% overall, which just, just that by itself would tell you that a correction is coming. But at the same time, we've got a lot of uh, a lot of big bombs waiting to go off out in the world. Greece is uh, is on the verge of defaulting, and and uh, several other European countries are having a lot of trouble living within the uh, the euro regime as as Germany has defined it. And so you've got a lot of trouble there. Potentially the breakup of the, the eurozone, which will send the currency markets into turmoil. And then you've got Japan financially imploding, and a lot of other stuff going on that, that could send us back into um, worries about a 1930s-style deflationary crash. Now, if that happens, you'll see the stock market tank, and you'll see a lot of uh, safe haven money flowing into the dollar, even though the dollar is obviously not a, a safe haven anymore. It's just relative to a lot of these other currencies right now, <laughs> a little bit safer. And then the question is, what happens to gold in that kind of a scenario? Because it could be that it gets a lot of the safe haven money that's flowing into the dollar as well. You know, a lot of people will buy gold at the same time they're buying dollars in a flight to safety, and that's good for gold. Or if we start worrying about a deflationary crash, that's bad for inflation hedges, which a lot of people see gold as, as being one of the best. And so we could see commodities in general and, and gold in particular really tank going forward. So as, as gold investors, we need to be aware that uh, the tide might be shifting once again back towards uh, worries about deflation. And, uh, and, and so we need to be prepared in, in case there's a big crack in the price of gold, you know, which, which would just be a, you know, the one final buying opportunity <laughs> before everything takes <laughs> off because governments will respond to this if, if you know, if we do see Greece implode and, and the stock market tank, uh, governments will really ramp up the printing presses then. You know, if we're running a trillion-dollar deficit this year in the U.S., well, they'll make it $5 trillion going forward because they'll be so worried about uh, a deflationary crash. And at some point, that just totally destroys the value of the paper currencies out there. So if gold drops below $1,000 an ounce here in, in all the turmoil that we might see, uh, then it's time to load up the wagon. Got a lot of dry powder right now just in case we see that because uh, I'd love one more chance at, uh, at getting it in triple instead of quadruple digit. Right. Now, obviously, you're familiar with my credit contraction pyramid, the, the great credit contraction pyramid, and we've got gold and silver and then uh, Federal Reserve notes right above them. They abut each other in the liquidity pyramid. And I've often written about what, what adds so much value to a currency is its velocity, its ability to be used in the ordinary daily transaction. And that's one of the reasons the dollar is valuable or treated as valuable instrument is because we're able to exchange it in so many uh, daily daily uses. It kind of like a language, you know. If you speak Swahili, that's nowhere near as valuable as if you speak English, only because so many other people also speak English. 
And so one of the problems that we have, uh, because I, I definitely see this deflationary uh, issue, you know, I mean, it is the issue. It's the great credit contraction. The, the, the issue, the, one of the problems I see is the gold investor, gold isn't really used in an ordinary daily transaction, and it doesn't really have that velocity. You could say not very many people speak gold in their economic transactions, which leads us right in to uh, that massive article I wrote about H.R. 4248, which is Ron Paul's bill to introduce Free Competition in Currency uh, Act of 2009. And so what effect do you think this bill, which will eliminate federal legal tender law, which will prohibit states from assessing taxes on bullion, which will remove any of the criminal code uh, for for these types of tax-related problems, and then also nullify any convictions like the Kayer case in Nevada, what type of effect do you think this bill could have on gold and silver becoming a more widely spoken economic language or more widely used monetary instrument? Yeah, well, a few things. First of all, that's a really good article that you did. I, I, when I, I first saw it, I just glanced at it, and it wasn't until a couple of days later that I actually read it. Brilliant, really good um, piece of history that you did there, too. So it's a good educational piece for anybody who wants to read it. Second, Ron Paul is, is by far the most interesting politician out there. He's, he's really doing – he's the only guy doing anything worth watching in Washington right now. And uh, his, his bill to, uh, as you say in the article, his bill to audit the Fed looked like it was a joke to begin with because the powers that be would never let that happen. And yet it, it seems like it might happen. There's still a lot of roadblocks in front of it, but they're, because it's resonating with the public, it's, it's generating enough votes to have a, a, you know, still an outside chance, but still a chance of passing. That means you have to take seriously um, his new bill that, that you just explained, and even though it has an even, you know, it's an even more of a long shot auditing the Fed, it, it's still a very powerful, very interesting idea that could capture the imagination of people once they, they understand it. And, um, yeah, if it ever passed, I mean, it's still a huge long shot because the powers that be will, will never voluntarily give up control of the, the money supply. But if it did happen, um, it would it would be really um, – interesting in a lot of ways because the dollar faced real competition it would be shown to be the um, the sham that it is you know it's not based on anything the governments can and do print basically as many new dollars as they need to to finance their re-election every year and because of oversupply its value is plunging so you put that up against uh, other currencies that are circulating that don't have those problems and the differences become really stark however it, it also might activate Gresham's law in which bad money chases good money off the field. And so we still might end up just hoarding gold and silver because as a store of value, they're so so superior to dollars that we'll want to spend dollars and we'll just, uh, you know, if there are gold coins around, we'll take them and put them in a safe deposit box and uh, yeah. and spend our dollars. So we'll still get, you know, massive dollar velocity at the same time that it's losing its value. I think a lot of people don't realize the costs that are imposed on business by the current monetary and banking system. We've, we've not only got the inflation tax, we've also got the transaction tax. Visa is just making an absolute killing with, and the credit card industry is, which, of course, are all backed by the bank. All of these things add so many additional costs to using that particular medium of, of transaction 
that if we were to remove even the the 28% rate gain tax on gold, all of a sudden you've got a you've got a currency that's now 30% more efficient <laughs> than oh, uh, than the other one, and it 45% more efficient just in 2009. That was gold's rise. But then you take into account, say, a 3% credit card fee. I mean, how much is it? Eight cents of every gallon of gas goes to Visa. So if we could eliminate some of these uh, transaction costs using much more efficient tools like gold money, for example, with them, gold money has got a maximum fee of $2 of profit. And yet, you know, I just received a hundred, I just sent a hundred dollars with PayPal and PayPal charged $3 and 80 cents, <laughs> you know, and if I had sent a thousand dollars, it would have been 30 bucks. So there's a lot of opportunity for a competing currency to really make a lot of, uh, change in the system. However, you know, I, I think I agree with you in the sense powers that be, the ones that currently have the right to, have the legal right to counterfeit uh, while everybody else is prohibited in that type of currency production activity, they don't really want to give that up, especially not voluntarily. And so where we places the issue of revolution We've got it either you can do it with money, as Dr. Vieira says, or you can do it with gun. I, I thought this was very interesting in my article. I don't know if you remember, I had the quote from Bernanke about uh, the U.S. government has a printing press, so it can oh, create sure. as many dollars as it wants at virtually no cost. So I had that quote, and then I had Section 19 of the 1792 Coinage Act. <laughs> which provides that anybody who debases or makes worse the currency shall be guilty of a felony and shall suffer death. And so I think, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if in addition to H.R. 4248, we were also to to start floating the idea politically to start implementing the death penalty for these types of counterfeiting activities that the Federal Reserve and the banks are currently engaged in. And we could perhaps start revoking bank charters for – uh, these types of violations, which would be the equivalent of, you know, executing a corporate entity, you know, removing their bank charter status or things like that, you know, and you know, Goldman Sachs, boom, you guys uh, lose your bank charter, your corporations dissolve, and you don't get to do business anymore because you're engaged in these types of behavior that uh, China just executed one of their rogue derivative traders over. So this could be very interesting to see how we we evolve politically in this sphere. Well, right now, this this stuff, and, and I agree, it's a really attractive idea, but it, it's, it's sort of in the realm of gold bug porn. <laughs> you know, these are oh, fantasies right. that would be so great. and uh, and But they have such a long, hard road to travel before they, they become even conceivable in the mainstream because the guys, in, I mean, you know, the bankers are basically in charge. So well, the idea that uh, th- this kind of thing would become law over their objection means basically it means, like you said, a revolution. And uh, that we try to do it with money means that it would evolve into having to do it with guns probably to get to that point. But it's a nice idea. <laughs> you know, we're starting to see, especially with these Tea Party activities that are going on, with everybody, you know, the, the banks and their massive PR nightmare, we're really starting to see the zeitgeist the culture that we swim in, we're starting to see it really change. And a lot of populist sentiment is being directed in anger towards the, the Wall Street bank. Longer it's going to take how many more people's 
retirements and pensions are just going to evaporate before they really get fed up with this stuff. I think we have to have the crash, basically, because we're still, especially baby boomers, I mean, we, we are still immensely self-centered and selfish and, and believe that we should get free stuff. You know, we've mm-hmm. always voted for free stuff. We expect to get free stuff, and we expect someone else to pay for it. And th- that hasn't changed. In fact, it's gotten more extreme. You know, as, as the economy tanks, more and more people start demanding more and more stuff from the government to help them. More and more free stuff. <laughs> more and more free stuff uh, at someone else's expense. Until things get so extreme and the powers that be are so completely discredited that we actually have a conversation, a national conversation, in which these ideas come up and are, are debated and win out you know, on the field of ideas. This stuff, in, at least in its more extreme form, is, is not going to be enacted. And I think, I think we really have, the system has to fall apart before enough people start paying attention and asking why it fell apart before we get to that point. So the, the really interesting discussion happens two or three years out when, when things have just totally tanked and when the whole concept of paper money uh, is actively being debated, and then we have a chance to win. You know, then, then we can put the original constitutional idea of sound money out there forming a consensus around limited government, free enterprise, private property, sound money, and and going back to constitutional principles. But until that time, you know, it it looks to me like we we are still a childish, selfish society that that is going to run itself off a cliff before it really comes to grips with the mistake. Yeah, I think that you raise a great point there because it is kind of you've got this baby boom generation that has just kind of moved through the the garden hose like a basketball, uh, and now in 2016 you're going to have 78 million baby boomers going up against 112 million millennials, and the baby boomers you know buying into this idea of government, which is just the fiction that everybody can live off everyone else. Well, they're going to want to live off all the millennials. And all the millennials are going to start entering their prime earning years. They're going to say, why in the world am I paying 15% for Social Security when I know I'm never going to see any of it? And that's of the, you know, and that's of the millennials that are actually uh, able to find jobs or get employed because the economy will just be that much further in depression because of all preventing of the credit liquidation and, and, and trying to keep wage prices up and things like that that the Obama administration has implemented. And so it's going to really, I think, contribute dialogue where the ideas, assuming the Internet uh, stays relatively free and open, uh, which I don't really see any reason why it wouldn't because we enshrine free speech so much in our Western uh, democracies on all sides of the aisle, uh, we're going to have videos like Peter Schiff was right, you know, and and all the people who voted for Obama will have just lived through four or maybe eight years of, of this grind economically, and they're going to want new ideas. And what are the ideas going to be? They're going to be Peter Schiff or Ron Paul who will look like seers uh, that foresaw and forecasted all of this happening. And so we might see a big shift of the zeitgeist uh, towards that, because you know, in the 2004 election, we didn't really have YouTube as a functional as a functional usage, and now everybody watches YouTube. And the same thing with Facebook, gone from no being absolutely nothing to having hundreds of millions of users in just a few short years. And so, I think we could see quite a bit of change happen so quickly 
uh, because of these technological advances that we have. Yeah, oh, absolutely. We will have a, a national and a global discussion about this stuff. And it'll, you know, I just hope Ron Paul stays healthy so he's around to, you know, to lead the good guys. But uh, we won't have the discussion, I don't think, un- until enough people have been shaken out of their complacency and realized that they just can't have free stuff. <laughs> we, we aren't there yet. Right now, you know, you, you and I see this stuff, and we, we see Peter Schiff and Ron Paul and, and a few other guys out there making these really good points, but 99% of the people in the U.S. are still not paying attention. You know, they're worried about their 401ks, a little less worried now than they were a year ago, and they're worried about their job, and they're worried about the value of their house, but they're mostly basically looking to the government for help, and mm-hmm. they expect that help to come from somewhere. You know, they, they expect the, gov- the government to get the money <laughs> and, and to give it to them. That's as far as they go in terms of thinking about how the world works. Over time, you know, when things really fall apart, that, that 1% will grow to 15% or 20% of people who actually understand what's going on. And then, then we're going to have an interesting debate because 15 or 20% of a group, if they're committed enough and, and knowledgeable enough, can change the nature of the group itself. So that, that's our challenge three or five years from now is to be part of a well-educated, seriously committed group of people who want to free markets, free minds, limited government, sound money you know, the constitutional principles. And it, it'll be a huge battle, but it'll be an interesting. Seth Godin uh, talks about, you know, being this linchpin that leads the tribe. We got our little gold bug tribe, and we were talking about this before the call, how the traffic to our websites is so small compared to the other uh, large websites out there like the Huffington Post or uh, some of these other really large blogs. I mean, our little gold niche is a relatively, you know, a small niche, and yet we could see this huge influx of people who want, who are going to need to be educated and need to uh, have this discussion, and and so, you know, I'd really encourage people to, you know, try and get involved uh, at the local level with your local businesses, and I guess if you can hold your nose and put on a Teflon suit, maybe go down to some political meeting uh, and try to really make a difference and and educate one's neighbors uh, on these issues. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? No, I think we've covered the uh, the high point. Yeah, let's we've, get we've together co- and do this again. Yeah, we've covered quite a bit. Thanks, John, for uh, for coming over to the RunTheGold.com podcast. Thanks for having me on, Trace. This is Anthem Blanchard, CEO of New Metro, and you're listening to RunToGold.com.